We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. The independence case is a powerful one. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. And in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Ashley Halstead, the councillor for Cherrywood in Rushmore and the chair and policy officer for LGBTQ+. Cooperators, a network that is representing LGBTQ plus people within the Cooperative Party. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you on. Um, now, the first thing I'd like to ask is because we're going to be discussing an article you've written on uh, LGBTQ plus History Month, which is this month. Um, we're going to be discussing an article you've written on that. So my first question to you is... What made you decide to, to write a particular um, article on this subject? And what is it do you think is important about discussing during this particular History Month? Um, well, I particularly wanted to raise it. Uh, at the minute, hate crime for LGBTQ plus people is on the rise. Mm. And what I thought was really important to remember is the the fight that people have gone through to get the rights that we have, mm. um, especially being sort of member of the cooperative party where it's long standing being an ally to the LGBTQ plus community. Mm. I just really wanted to get the perspective out there. I think, especially sort of being in the cooperative party, we don't get so much of a spotlight, but I mm. believe the party has had a massive hand in LGBTQ plus policy. And at the minute, we're creating a policy document which we're aiming to make official party policy. And I sort of expected there to be some sort of resistance from some members, but I haven't had any resistance from any members so far on any of the policies, which I thought, you know, you're always going to get the odd sort of bad apple in any mm. party. Yeah. And it's just been amazing to sort of see that everyone's just sort of listened and gone, yes, that's absolutely right. And it just seems to be a massive party of allies. Yeah. Do you think it's important to, um, because this is a, a history month and obviously um, part of the aim is, you know, showing the history of um, LGBTQ plus people, both within the cooperative party and also um, within, you know, uh, history as a whole. Do you think it's important to uh, make sure that when you're um, talking about that history and when you're discussing that history, that you make clear, as, as you mentioned there and as you mentioned in the article, that um, hate crime and hate against LGBTQ plus people isn't just something that is historic, but is something that is happening very much now and really needs to be tackled, not just as a historic into, uh, a historic uh, problem, but also one that is very much a present problem as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, what we, I mean, with any history month, you look back at the past, see what the bad parts are and be like, we can't allow this to happen again. Hmm. Um, looking back, we're sort of seeing a lot of hate and now coming forward, we're seeing a rise in hate. Mm. And yeah, I think, I mean, that's what, partly why I sort of did the policy document and why I'm continuing to develop it is that it's important to not just sort of go, which I think some people have, is go, well, you can get married now, that's you done, isn't it? Mm. Uh, 
whereas there's so many policies that are still out there. I mean, hate crime is one. Uh, domestic abuse is another key one, which has often gone sort of unspoken about. Mm. And I mean, we're recently seeing the armed forces where people are doing a review about people that were kicked out in the army mm. and what went wrong and what can we do to compensate those people who are sort of, I mean, I grew up in a military family where when you grow up in that kind of lifestyle, the military becomes your everything. Yeah. And when you're sort of taken out of that, that's your career and your private life. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm very keen on History Month to look back at what went wrong and how we fixed it and celebrate that, but also look at what issues we have now and how we can sort of be a part of history and fix the issues we have now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, w- one of the things that I, I thought was particularly interesting that you raised in the article was um, regarding older members of the uh, LGBTQ plus community um, in terms of retirement communities and going from perhaps their own homes into retirement homes and and, and ensuring that um, older uh, people who are members of the LGBTQ plus community don't feel that they have to go back um, into the closet as it were when going into retirement communities. Do you think this is something that as an issue hasn't really been discussed a great deal before or hasn't really been thought of before and what sort of things do you think can be done to make sure that people who are members of the community don't feel that they have to hide who they are when they're going into uh, either retirement homes or retirement communities? Uh, Yeah I mean obviously I'm the policy officer and I have to put my hands up and say that I didn't think of it myself Mm. until it was brought to my attention um, and this is partly why the reason why I did the policy document and it had to be so wide ranging because things get missed if we're not putting everything on the table, putting all the issues on there and what the solutions are. Um, in terms of the el- elderly population of LGBTQ plus people, what London are doing in sort of putting more money into cooperatives, which for an LGBTQ plus retirement community, that A means that people won't have to go back into the closet, but also B means that there is a sense of real community. Mm. Whereas before you retire, you do have that LGBTQ plus community sort of as a young person and sort of going into working age. And it's good to carry that on into retirement. There isn't sort of a disconnect where you have to leave the community. It's more, you will have a community there when you, decide you want to go into retirement yeah yeah absolutely and I think it's also interesting in um the article how you um obviously as as I'm as I mentioned there discussing people who are going into retirement communities looking at people later on in their life but you're also looking at people who are at um the start of their life because you mentioned um the cooperative academies and their LGBTQ plus lead how important do you think it is to make aware to people uh, perhaps who were interested in things like the cooperative academies or who are part of the cooperative academies, who are, who are students in these academies, that there is this support there with the LGBTQ plus lead and that if they are feeling uncomfortable in any way that they can, you know, get help that way, that they don't just have to um, look for help 
online or they have to sort of like try and, and look for help from other areas which might not be as receptive as potentially the LGBTQ plus lead is? Yeah, so I mean, I can sort of speak firsthand where I was the lead at school for mm. everyone thought I was gay and it turns out they were right. Um, but what you have when you don't have that sort of open community especially as a teenager, is it forces you online and it means you sort of go down sort of the dark back alleys of the internet to find people to identify with. Mm. Um, that leaves you open to sort of all sorts of views and it can often just make the situation worse. So having an LGBTQ plus lead in the school, A, means that students can sort of come out quite freely. It means they can go to clubs where they can connect with people that are just like them mm. uh, but it also sort of prevents that need to go online for everything where mm. you know there's stories all across all, all the time about people who are sort of 13 14 and they start talking to someone much older than them on the internet mm. and yeah, having a lead in school means that a it's going to reduce the amount of bullying because it's going to be talked about much more and accepted a lot more and it's going to reduce the need to start sending people online where they can you know the online community is brilliant but there are bad apples that can take advantage of people and it just prevents the need for that yeah absolutely do you think that this is something that is really important in 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 terms of wider policy in schools i mean not just from your own experience, but also from um, the experience of people, you know, uh, as part of the community as well. Do you think that there currently is enough support within the wider educational system for LGBTQ plus people to feel, you know, safe and that if they are being bullied or if they are in a situation where they feel in danger in some way, that there is somebody that they can go and speak to and that they can help resolve that issue do, do, do you think enough is being done in the educational system at the moment oh no not at all um i've spoken to someone who was recently just left school and he was in the closet uh, for the entire time he was in school he didn't feel safe uh until he got to a college which had a more open atmosphere uh now we've we've all seen stories about people who have stayed in the closet beating themselves mm. up and have taken their own life for it. And yeah, there, there's just not enough being done. I think budgets are just being cut left, right and centre and it does seem to be the sort of equality networks that get cut the deepest and the quickest. Um, it used to be that you would have LGBTQ plus youth clubs all over the country and in my home county of Oxfordshire there used to be a network of four clubs across the account across the county and now there's just one um for a big county like Oxfordshire it's not feasible for someone from the other side of the county to travel over especially as a young person and that just leaves people so without any kind of support which again is going to leave them online um yeah, this is why I think, this is why I've wanted to write about the co-op lead in, well, the LGBTQ plus lead in co-op academies, because 
that is a lifeline that I really wish I had. And it's a lifeline that's really going to work for our young people. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do, you, th- do you think that, I mean, you were talking about the, the, the cuts that you've seen in Oxfordshire in your own home county. Do you think that what quite often happens is that there is a sense that, as, as you say, in terms of, of cuts, that rather than sort of like thinking about how much, you know, services like these are a lifeline to people, there's a sense that, oh, well, this is in some way sort of like disposable and this is in some way, you know, sort of like not in, 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 in entirely necessary. And that there's an approach to equality, particularly from the current government, that doesn't really reflect upon the changes that need to be made at the moment in, in terms of making people who are members of the LGBTQ plus community feel not only more comfortable, but safer, but also the realisation that simply saying that, you know, there have been changes um, that have been long fought for in terms of equality, um, th- thinking that that is the, the be all and end all, that, you know, you can change certain laws and that can be enough without realising that there is a need for proper targeted funding for services like the um, one you've described and like the LGBTQ plus leads in cooperative academies that just isn't being provided by the current government? Yeah, I mean, considering I'm Labour and co-op, it's probably going to come as no surprise that I've criticised the government. (laughs) Uh, But the government in terms of LGBTQ plus rights is very much all mouth. And, you know, I'm very much the kind of person where I'll give credit where credit's due and... I didn't like David Cameron, but he did speak quite passionately in favour of same-sex marriage, and he did seem to genuinely want it. And it wasn't mm. just a "we'll give it, we'll give you this just so you know, few votes." Uh, whereas this government will say that they support us and then do the exact opposite. I mean, you only have to look at Liz Truss, who sort of has, seems to have like twelve roles now, but mm. one of them is equality. And she'll pose with the LGBT plus conservatives and say that she's an ally. But we've still got a situation where conversion therapy is still a thing. We've been waiting well over a thousand days since they promised that we would have a ban. And now they're going, oh, we're going to have a consultation. Oh, and now we're going to extend that consultation. And... I've got no faith that they really care or that they really want it because mm. they seemed very sort of wanting to do a consultation on the Gender Recognition Act. And then as soon as it went the way that they didn't want, they decided, oh, no, we're not going to do that now. Um, I think they're very willing to make changes that they want to make. But if it's a change that they don't want to, uh I feel like they need to start listening to the community and not sort of tell us what they think we need and just listen to us about what we need. Um, you know, we, you look at our, the, our venue where it's become so much more centralised and so much more London-centric and just so few of them. There's no real support and there needs to be a bit of support, a bit of funding where sites of heritage like LGBTQ plus venues, especially ones of historical significance, that can remain and can be supported to do well. 
obviously they're not expecting the government to just fund them at a loss, mm. but giving them a bit of support and a bit of guidance on how to survive in current weather. Um, so they seem to be perfectly willing to give business advice to uh, small businesses at mm. time, but not when you're looking at LGBTQ plus businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you, you mentioned, of course, there um, your affiliation with the Labour Party and with the Cooperative Party. Now, of course, the Labour Party itself has come under criticism with how it has handled uh, LGBTQ plus rights, particularly the rights of um, trans people. What do you think of the Labour Party's current position in terms of LGBTQ plus rights? Do you think it goes far enough? And what do you think of the way that the Labour Party has dealt with people who are transphobic within the party and how do you think it is you know helping trans people feel safe within the party i'm very i'm very disappointed in the labor party to be honest uh, i think the cooperative party have they are listening to us and they are making the changes that we are saying but the labor party it's sort of a one step forward one step back with them so we'll start to get a bit start to get a bit of support in terms of the armed forces and then they'll take a step back by not dealing with transphobes. And I, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I'm trying to sort of reach out to contacts that I have and see what the air is. But I think currently, whoever it is at the Labour Party just doesn't want to deal with transphobia. And yeah, I, I, I personally don't know what the answer is. I've considered my position within the Labour Party multiple times because of uh, the treatment towards our community. Um, I mean, you look, you, you, you look at Rosie Duffield and she's being allowed to say, oh, I was considering defecting. And everyone runs to her aid and going, oh, I'm so sorry for you. Then no one talks about the fact that she and other people like her have come up with some absolutely vile comments, which, you know, transphobia kills. We know that. It, it, it just strikes me as they're trying to look out for MPs. We can't lose too many MPs. We can't lose too many people that support us. But then we've always been a party of equality going back to when we voted for uh, for it to be legal with Leo, Leo Epstein and when, you know, unions supported our rights in the Labour Party. Mm. And we've, I don't think we've completely lost sight of it. I think there is still hope for a turnaround, uh, especially with the likes of Annalise Dodds. I think she, I've spoken to her on LGBT issues before and she really does want to do something she really does believe that there's so much more work to do but I think there's a blockage somewhere in the Labour Party that just isn't allowing us to make the steps forward that we need to. Do you think part of it is a, a, a generational difference because some people have raised that as a, as, as a possibility as part of the reason that there is this blockage or do, or do you think that it's solely a um, reluctance to 
listen to the concerns of trans people and to understand how they're feeling and why they are feeling that they're not only not welcome in the Labour Party, but feel threatened by uh, other individuals who are members of the Labour Party? Um, well, people keep bringing up sort of generational differences. It, it's not as if we've taken someone from the 50s, 60s, 70s, where this was considered okay and just plopped them in 2022. They have been here throughout the time. And if this was historic, if it was the case that someone who's in their 70s now had said something previously back in the 70s that wasn't acceptable, but they'd shown since that they are becoming an ally and they are learning from their mistakes and they are making amends, that's absolutely fine. But you can't sort of carry on and just go, oh, well, it's a different generation. Because they, they've been here, they, they, we've not stopped them from a different mm. time. Um, in, yeah, I, I think another thing that's probably a big issue is the complaints department, where if you make a complaint, it just doesn't really get done. I'm not sure what's going on there. I've heard mm. one story where there's a blocker of people trying not to deal with complaints. And there's another that's saying there's just too many complaints, not enough people to deal with it. I'm not sure. I'm not in that department. But something is going wrong where we are allowing this kind of hate to exist in the party. And what we know from seeing people online is they start off with transphobia and say, oh, no, this is acceptable because we're just advocating for women. And then it turns into homophobia as well. It's never, I mean, transphobia is not acceptable in, at all in the first instance, but it's never just the one. It always grows and we need to be nipping it in the bud, really. We, we've lost so many great members. Mm that could have been future leaders in the party and now they're out sort of joining other parties or coming out of politics altogether when actually these are the people we need to drive us forward. Hmm. Do you think that, in, I mean, you, you mentioned there are people who are obviously leaving the party because of this. Do you think that if things were to change that they would feel open to rejoining the Labour Party or do you think that because of what they have experienced that they just wouldn't feel that they would want to rejoin the Labour Party? Um, I think there will be people that never will um, but there's people that I've spoken to who I've seen as future leaders and they've said if there is real change they will consider coming back, but they don't see that change happening, at least not anytime soon. Um, a lot of people that are sort of in Labour Church sort of trying to fix the issue, if you like, um, they're focusing on sort of, oh, it's one or two individuals, when actually it's not, it's quite embedded. The fact that transphobes have been able to get on the NEC is just sort of evident that it's a widespread problem that needs real tackling and I think if the tackling happens and change is meaningful and constant then absolutely we could definitely win some people back but we need to 
make those changes and fully understand the challenges. It's not just one or two people. It is an ingrained thing where we need to make those real changes and not just go, oh, it's just one or two people. We'll get rid of them and then the problem's done because it, it, it's deeper than that. Mm. I'd now like to just turn um, to Ukraine, to the situation in Ukraine, because it is, of course, something that is on a lot of people's minds at the moment. We are potentially going to be seeing a, uh, a Russian invasion of Ukraine in the next few days, perhaps in in, in next week or so, depending on um, different sources that have been uh, propagated about. If the Russians are going to invade Ukraine, which of course they have denied, but if they do actually end up invading, what kind of consequences do you think that it will have, not just for the people of Ukraine, but also for the international community, NATO, European member nations, and of course, the US? Yeah, I, you've asked, my foreign policy is terrible. I'll start off by saying that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the way I'm seeing it is that if Russia do invade and, you know, obviously, hopefully not as we're putting this out. Mm. Um, but I recently saw on my phone that people are sort of being advised not to go to Ukraine. So tensions are escalating. Um, I think where, and part of me doesn't see why Russia are doing it. I mean, some people are sort of raised about they don't want Ukraine to join NATO. Mm. Um, but from what I understand, you can't join NATO while there's ongoing conflict, and there is ongoing conflict in mm. Ukraine. Um, I think if Russia do it, they're going to have to be very smart about what they do. It, it, you know, that we're, I don't think the international community is going to allow the return of Russia as they saw it, where they dominated Eastern Europe. Mm. Um, the, you, the US will see it as a threat to their status as a as sort of the leading superpower. And I know that ourselves and Poland have joined in a protective alliance with Ukraine. So it's one of those things that really sort of scares me. And I wish I knew a lot more about foreign policy to really delve into it. But I think it's it's gonna go well, more than one or two ways, but it's going to go one of two ways. And I think where we are at the minute, I question if we have the leadership to tackle it as effectively as we could. Mm. Um, you know, we, we, we don't have a really strong leader of the country at the moment. And yeah, it's a tough one. Mm. Where we we need the right leader, essentially. We need the right leader of the country to take it on. We can't have this being bungled because there's just so much at stake. Absolutely, there there really is. You're completely right. Um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast, Ashley. It's been wonderful to talk to you, and I have one final question. Now, of course, we have been discussing your article 
on uh, LGBTQ plus history month and of uh, policies that the uh, cooperative party will hopefully be uh, putting forward in relation to LGBTQ plus people. Uh, so my final question to you is this, if you could meet any person from LGBTQ plus history um, that perhaps you've either not met because they lived uh, decades ago or not met because they live uh, in America or, or, or somewhere else, if you could meet one person, uh, which person would you choose to meet? Uh, I'm going to go quite cringy and go for Alan Turing. Mm. I think, I mean, I'm a bit of a geek myself, so he sort of really resonates with me where, you know, I spend my job looking at loads of spreadsheets and I go, oh, I can change this and it will make it so much more effective. And, <laughs> you, you know, that's sort of what he did with, yeah. sort of, you know, di di different stuff. But I, I would just quite like to pick into his brain about just how, how his brain works and just the, the history of the era as well, how he mm. felt and what he did during times and it'd be really interesting to know a lot more about sort of the underground lgbtq plus community from that time um i know everyone says alan turing but yeah i'll say alan turing no i think that's an excellent choice and, and as you say an incredible uh, man and, and someone who uh, did a, a a great deal not just for uh, science but also uh, for Britain during the Second World War. Well, thank you uh, once again for coming on the podcast, Ashley. If people want to find out more about you, want to read um, the article, uh, find out more about the policy document and LGBTQ plus uh, individuals within the Cooperative Party, where should they go to find out about this? Uh, so we've got our uh, website and you can find the policy document on there. We've also got Twitter, which we're trying to build up. Um, while we're, we're looking at launching our sort of updated policy document in June, and so that's where we'll be launching it, and it will give you a real sense of what issues we're focusing on, and it will also give you the opportunity to start feeding in about different issues. I mean, I don't want them to release this document and then find out that I've missed something big, so I need all the feedback that I can get, really. Excellent. Well, thank you once again for coming on the podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam, and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast, or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.